Amen. You can grab a seat, church. So glad you're with us today in church on this final Sunday service of the year for us. And uh, so enjoy seeing our kids' ministry on stage. If that's not a picture of why we give to Legacy, it's right there. I just had this vision of we were at um, seeing a newborn baby a couple weeks ago that was just born in our church, and I said visions of this little boy running through the seats. Uh, what kind of leaders are we that we picture kids running in our building, right? There's always signs, no running. We're like, I want kids running everywhere. I just want like a herd, a gaggle of kids, a herd of kids. What would they be? A flock of kids is running. But I believe you see these kids on stage that we believe they're going to have legacy. Uh, our giving today sets up their legacy tomorrow. Amen. And um, we're strong in our faith, in our belief, what God is doing in our church. Um, we're in a series right now. We're concluding it today, all Christmas, when heaven speaks. We're walking through the Christmas story. Last year was when people prayed, and their prayers went to heaven, and heaven heard from men and women, ordinary men and women. This year we're walking through when heaven spoke to men and women and what he said. And I believe that there's, there's, there's truths, there's things we can learn from Scripture that only, not only helped them, but I believe it still speaks to us today. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. I want to encourage you today. Looking around this room, I don't think there's anyone in this room that has not had a challenging year. Knowing many of the stories and faces in this room, I can know some of the challenges you navigate. Some of them were really good challenges. Some in this place went away to school. Some of you started new education programs. Some of you started new jobs in new fields and started a whole new life in this room. Some of you added to your family. Babies were born in, to people in this room and the navigation of that, it's more than just what you see on Instagram of new babies. It is, a, it is rocks your world and it's chaos and it's beautiful. And some of you navigated changes in your family and some of you moved here from across the country and some from around the world, you need to know that our city and our church is better because you're here. And um, you navigated a lot this year and you made it. Others of you, the challenges were, were tough this year. Experienced loss, loss of loved ones. It might've been deaths or maybe it was relation, relational losses. Uh, you navigated that, you navigated, some of you are navigating sobriety and it's been a tough journey for you to navigate that. Others have been disappointments of people that you thought would stay with you or maybe the situations would turn up everything they did and you navigated disappointments. And I want to say, as I was praying for today and thinking about you, that I just want to encourage you, you made it to today. I just think you need to take a moment. Some of you are like, I don't know if I made it. I'm here. I just want to encourage you, you made it to today. And I believe that the God that is with us is the God that can save us. And 2023 is coming, and I believe as we end this year and launch into a new one, that you'll have more room for God in your heart and knowing that God is faithful, that God knows you, he loves you, he is with you. And we just want to encourage you today. We're very proud of you and celebrating you for making it to this moment. In a life of legacy, I believe this, starts with daily decisions, and today you made a decision to show up. Some of you, it was hard getting here, and some of you, you couldn't wait to get here. Either way, you made it today. And we're really proud of you. You made it. I hope you feel um, the pride of heaven today over your life. Amen. Matthew chapter 2. If you're there, say, hey. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. I've got 12 verses I'm going to read today. The Christmas story. I believe God's going to speak to you. Starting in verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the reign of King Herod. 
And about the same time, some wise men, not wise guys, there's a difference between wise guys and wise men. Um, wise guys have leather jackets and forget about it. Wise men, wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is this Messiah, this one that's coming from heaven to save his people, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, will, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, and the ruler will come from you. Who will, be, who will be a shepherd for my people, Israel. When Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, he learned from them that the time that the star first had appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back to me so I can go and worship him too. And you know the story, that's not the case. He was threatened. Very few things as dangerous as an insecure leader. As an insecure king, he had a plan to kill any rival that would be born. So he said, tell me where he's born. So I too can go worship, but he knows that he had other plans. Verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered this house and saw the child and his mother, Mary, uh, Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, Frankenstein, and myrrh frankincense and myrrh and it was time to leave they returned to their own country by another route for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod not to return to Herod this morning I want to talk on this topic on this last sermon on Sunday of 2022 this topic this title that I want you just to think about I want you to to have this marinate in your heart as we unpack scripture wise eyes wise eyes can we pray one more time today God, we thank you for this morning. I pray right now for the preaching of the word. God, I pray this would not just be information. Information is not our heart today. We pray it would not just be inspiration. Father, we don't need just to be inspired. We're asking for transformation today. God, there are parts of our hearts that are far from you, and we're asking today that we would leave here more like you and more in love with you than when we walked in. God, would you help this preacher? Would you help this people? We love you so much. Come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said. What do, we, what, what do we do and don't know about these wise men? I realized as I studied this, we actually don't know a lot about these wise men. There's very little written about these wise men. There's some things we know and some things we don't know. A couple of things we know and don't know is that they're described as wise men. Some translations actually call them three kings or they call them the magi these wise men, these kings. And it's attempting to make clear that they were more than just educated astronomers or even uh, into astrology. And uh, astronomers study the heavens and they study the, the, the skies and the stars and they study that and see how it moves. Astrology believes that that actually impacts life on earth and people. But the translation is trying to tell us that they're more than that by even calling them magi, that they're more than just astrologers or even astronomers. They're actually... Um, have leadership on them and calls them magi or kings. We do know that there was a group um, of them and they studied the stars, believing that the governing forces of the heavens 
directed the stars and gave us messages and signs for heavens and earth. They're science. They were scientists, but they also had some theology. And their science had theology in it. And they valued science, but they also had faith. And I thought it's important to note today that science and faith are not opposed to each other. You need to know that. They're not opposed to each other. And um, they knew that there was evidence to pursue of stars and constellations and things changing. But they also knew that there's things that they don't know and they've yet to learn and that there's higher powers to play. And I think there's a lesson there for us. Do I read the stars? I don't. Do I, do I encourage that? I don't. But I do know this, that there's things we know in science and fact and, and data. But there's also the unknown, knowing that there is more to them than what we can see. I think it's interesting, and I think it was 1825, that the U.S. Patents Office in America brought up this statement. The head of the Patents Office said, everything that can be invented has been invented. In 1825, I don't know about you, but everything I enjoy has been invented since 1885, 1825. Come on. In fact, I looked it up in the last 20 years. Most of the things I enjoy have been invented in my lifetime. Wi-Fi, online banking, come on, Amazon somebody. Where are my people? Um, cappuccinos at Starbucks. I just Can I just say, everything in this room I think was invented since 1990, for the, by the way. Um, it's amazing. I think it's foolishness to think that we think we have a grasp on everything, that there's faith involved, knowing that there's more to learn and there's more we don't know. The story, also what we don't know, is we don't know how many wise men there were. Nowhere does it say there was three wise men. In fact, there was enough traveling in this group I don't know, when I saw Christmas concerts and stories, I pictured, you know, three guys dressed up in garbs and huge robes, and, which I don't know how convenient that would be, traveling across the desert in these crowns and big robes. And, but nowhere does it say three. It says these wise men came. I think we say three because we know there's three types of gifts that they gave. Um, there's also the song, We Three Kings, because it probably wouldn't flow if it said We 220 Kings or We 16 Kings. And... I know this, there were so many that King Herod and the nation saw them coming and were so nervous, they thought maybe they were an approaching army to invade. The whole city took notice. You wouldn't notice three people coming, but if you saw a caravan and a tribe and an army of people, there would have been servants and army and protection and these leaders. So we know there was more than three. We don't know how many, but we know there was more than three. But in history and in stories, we've seemed to cut it off to just three. Which reminds me of, of my mom, in a way. Hilda had a way of, um, she has this great habit when we were growing up that if she didn't, we had these pictures, these photographs, these printed pictures. Printed pictures were these things we used to have, um, we used to develop. Remember, uh, 24, you were rich, you got 24-hour development. Where are my old people in the room? Come on, somebody. And then if you were really rich, you get doubles. Some of you have, I lost a whole bunch in this room. But, but my mom, we'd get these pictures of proms or key moments, and then, you know, they'd have our significant others, people we were dating at the time, my brother, my sister, or, or myself, and my mom would just go back and take those pictures after we broke up, and she just cut them out. <laughs> so there are photo albums at my mom's house that have all these pictures, because she liked the way we look, our smile, maybe the tux we had on, or my sister, the dress she had on, she liked it so much, she's like, I'll just remove that person, they no longer exist, they are gone, she just put them in the garbage, gone, she said, my mother will cut you. Out of our lives. That's my mom. That's Hilda. It kind of feels like that. That's, that's, that history kind of said, you know what? We don't know how many there is. It doesn't really fit into the manger scene. It doesn't really fit into the Christmas, our pageants. So we'll just say three. But we know, we don't know how many there were, but there was more than three. 
We know they didn't visit baby Jesus in the manger. That is something we, again, believe because of story and song. And In fact, in verse 11, if you read verse 11, you'll see there it says they entered the house and saw the child, not the baby, the child and his mother. And they stole the star and then they left to find him. And Herod, after meeting them, based on their answers and what they saw, determined the child was between the ages of one and two. And he ordered a massacre of all boys under the age of two. So we know this, that they saw him in a house, not a manger. The shepherds saw him in a manger, but the, the wise men saw him in his home. And he was older than a baby. At this point, he was a terrible toddler. He was running around and throwing snowballs or something else at their, his parents, and he was full of life. But we know he wasn't a baby. And so we estimate Jesus was between one and two, scholars think, between uh, 14 months and two years of age. What do we know about these men? Because it's interesting in this story that God speaks in many ways. And if we're not careful, sometimes as preachers, that we will paint a picture of God speaking in such a way that we think, you'll think we have a direct line to God, that we don't actually answer our email, but all we do is have an email. Come on, somebody. That, that we just have this direct line to heaven that, man, the pastor hears from God. If we're not careful, we'll make it seem like God just downloads all this wisdom and all this direction all the time. But the truth be told, God speaks in many ways talking to my son recently, and he was talking about a decision he was making, and it, words more like, I feel like, it feels like a nudge, it kind of, I, I kind of get the sense. It wasn't like God put him in his sleep and said, this is your plan for your life. And even as a church, so many times there's directions that we feel like this would be the right thing to do. We feel this kind of this, this tug, this pull. And, and other times I, I feel like I've heard God speak, uh, not audibly, but um, so clearly in my mind and in my heart. In this story, these wise men, we don't know a lot about them, but we know this. They felt like they got a sign from the heavens. They got a sign from nature and wonder. Enough for these leaders to pack up their caravans and tribes and resources and to take time out of their schedule and travel thousands and hundreds of miles to go see a child that was born. I want to encourage you, God is still speaking. And it may not come on a stage with a microphone. It may be driving in your car. It might be an impression. It might be in a relationship that someone, God uses them to speak to you. It might be a, a, a nudge in your heart. But you need to know this, that God is still looking for wise eyes, people that will see what God is doing, hear what he is saying, and it will affect the trajectory of their lives. These wise men, they saw things differently. They had vision, and they looked through wise eyes. We know that. Wise eyes. Here's the first thing I realized about these men looking through wise eyes is they knew that open heavens were once messy mangers. Just think about that for a minute. They, they knew enough to know that open heavens were once messy mangers. They understood that great legacies start with small beginnings. You unpack this story, you understand they followed the star to a home. A poor home, probably middle class to poor. Not a palace, not a temple, but to an average home at best, these men followed the star. And they understood that kingdoms started in messy mangers and poor homes. They understood that great legacies start with small beginnings. I couldn't help but think as I read that this week and I studied it, that there was so much room for disappointment in this moment. Have you ever thought about this? This, this, this? this army, this crowd, this caravan traveling hundreds if not thousands of miles, following a star from heaven. The, the galaxies have actually um, made this, this, um, this sign that they feel enough to uproot themselves 
and leave for this journey. They get to a place, and they don't go to a, the star doesn't lead them to a palace, doesn't lead them to a huge mansion, not even to a temple. It leads them to a small house. Joseph was a carpenter making ends meet. He would have had a basic, very small place to live. How much room was there in that moment for disappointment? You don't think at least one of them thought, do you think we read the stars wrong? I wonder if that was one of Elon's satellites and not actually a star that we... Do you think maybe there's a... Hmm. We know this because they actually stopped by the palace to see the king, thinking he would know. They were expecting kingdom-sized moments because of what they had experienced and were seeing. And then they get directed. They keep following the star over the palace, over the king. No, it doesn't stop here. This isn't where we're supposed to be. And they keep going through neighborhoods and... You know, there's, there, there's flowing sewage, and there's animals, and there's poverty, and they go down streets to a home and walk in and go, this is where we're supposed to be. The room for disappointment in that moment would have been immense. When someone disappoints, it's hard, right? Disappointment, I've heard it said this way, is the gap between expectation and reality. We all get disappointed, right? We have this expectation. Maybe it's of a relationship, a romantic relationship. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's a leader, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's someone, one of your employees, or maybe someone, in our case, in our church, maybe it's your children, maybe it's our government, maybe it's of your own health, but somewhere you have this expectation of this is going to happen, and then reality crashes in, and that gap between expectation and reality is the breeding ground for disappointment. You think of every disappointment in your life, it's somewhere reality didn't match the expectation in your heart. That's why we start saying things like, don't get your hopes up. Why? Because we don't want to deal with disappointment. It's easier to not get your hopes up than be disappointed over and over. So we expect le less of the people we love. We expect less of our country. We expect less of our God. We expect less of ourselves. And this moment right here, these men, these, this, 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 this group of people, all of a sudden had a chance to be disappointed. They had expectations maybe of meeting this new king and his parents would obviously be royalty, so they would have had new connections, maybe opening new trade routes, maybe opening new connections for influence and discussions of greatness and talk while eating great food and great ambiance with, with great uh, style to sit there and talk about things that only they would understand. And maybe they would find like-minded people with education and greatness, but instead they come to a poor house with a young couple barely getting by with their two-year-old or one-year-old little son going, hmm. This isn't the dreams we had crossing the desert. The room for disappointment was great. It was immense. Kings weren't born in barns and lived in small houses. They were born in palaces and they lived in kingdoms. But the wise eyes of these leaders, please don't miss this, understood great legacies start in small beginnings. I want to encourage you today as we start ending, we close out this year and we launch into a new one that some of us, we, all we see is small beginnings, but God says, no, no, great legacies are birthed in small beginnings. If we would have wise eyes, we will see what God is doing before it's obvious to the crowds. Met this friend this year, me and my wife were at a conference for leaders and this, this one amazing woman leader that we met, she, we were talking and as it came out during the one night just sitting around eating with friends, she came out, she goes, oh, by the way, I used to date Elon Musk. And I was like, excuse me? At that point, the rest of the conference was, um, was irrelevant. We didn't pick up anything else the, the speakers were saying, like, okay, come on, let's, let's have our own little small group over here. What? 
what? The richest man in the world. Talk about that. And she's, oh, it's amazing. And she goes, I actually, after mentioning it, I went and found pictures. And here's a picture of us all hanging out together. This is me and Elon. And he had less hair back then. And uh, we're our friends. And we're all hanging out. And she goes, yeah, we, he went to a year of university here in Canada. And we dated for a year. And I was like, amazing. She goes, you know what the one regret I have? She was not breaking up with him because uh, I have my husband now and we're happily married for years and it's awesome. She goes, but about a year later, we were all friends in college. He emailed us all or, 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 or messaged us all and said, hey, I'm starting a new business called, uh, called PayPal, I think it was. Would you like to get in on the ground floor? And they're like, no, we don't have any more poor college kids. She said, a couple of our friends invested a thousand bucks, which was a lot of money to us in college. She goes, I regret that now. Because he grew that business, sold that business. They are well off, and we wish we had seen then what we see now. Legacies start with small beginnings. God, give us the eyes to see that today. That sometimes, that, sometimes kingdoms um, and sometimes open heavens start in messy mangers. You got something messy in your life today? You got something real small that you don't think it's going to go anywhere, that people don't believe in? You got something that you feel like it's underwhelming? Listen, just be careful, because that's usually where God does some of his best stuff. That we'd have eyes to see. Wise eyes understand great legacies start with small beginnings. In this moment of possible disappointment, as they're confronted with the door cracks open, and they're like, are we in the right spot? And all of a sudden it becomes evident with the atmosphere in the room, the, the spirit in the room, the divine um, favor in the room. They open that door to that modest house going, no, no, this is the right spot. In that moment for disappointment, it's interesting that the wise men, it says they bowed down and worship the baby. I thought about that. I looked at that through different eyes today. I thought in the middle of disappointment, they could have said, this is the wrong spot. It should have been back at the kingdom. You know, we read this wrong. In the middle of, of, a, of, a, of a moment, pregnant with disappointment, they said, no, we understand. We're looking through different eyes right now. And they bowed their knees and worshiped the king. I thought about worship and I thought about Sunday mornings in this room and I thought about it in my private time and when you're worshiping. And Worship is less about the situation you're in but rather who you're in it with. That'll change, that'll change the game for you with worship if you understand the difference in that statement. It's not the room you're in. It's not the situation you're in. And sometimes, listen, I believe in atmosphere. Our team sets this up this morning. You think about the work that goes into atmosphere. If you come to my house, all my lights are on dimmers. Why? Because everything's better when it's dimmed. Come on, somebody. I got those fake candles that turn on and turn off with batteries. I love the right smell on the stove. We got the right food cooking. We like the right music playing Google. Would you play? And all of a sudden, all the right atmosphere. But here's what I've realized about worship. It's not about the situation you're in. It's in who you're in it with. And in that moment, they're in a place of disappointment. They're tired, they're dirty, they're doubting. And in that moment, it's not about the situation they're in. They walked into a room and said, no, 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 it's who we're with right now. And they recognized the king was with them. Listen, you might be in a disappointing moment right now. You might feel like you're in a disappointing season. You might feel like things haven't gotten off the ground the way you wanted them to. But if you understand that who is with you in this moment, the Bible says that he is with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We said last week, he is Emmanuel, God with us. And if you have God with you, it'll change the worship of your situation. If I can challenge you, worship through disappointment. Because it's not the situation you're in, it's who you're in it with. Wise eyes. Second thing I realize about wise eyes as I look at these, these rulers, these men, is they were used to reading things backwards. 
They were used to reading things backwards. You ever, you ever watch a movie? I, I love movies. I have some goals over Christmas. There's a couple movies I want to watch. And my favorite are the ones that are emotional. You know, those ones that just rip your heart out. They're just like you don't know if you're going to make it through the movie. You know, those real tearjerker ones with strong drama like, like, like Finding Nemo. Come on. <laughs> you laugh. You watch that after having a kid. It'll change your life. That, that is a horrible movie. It's the exact same plot twist as the movie Taken, except made for kids. Just think about it. Think about it. Someone takes the kid, spends the whole movie. I have a certain set of skills, you know. Nemo? Chico? You know? And they go get this kid back. You watch that movie, and you're like, what's going to happen? He's going to touch the butt. I mean, the boat. He's going to touch that thing. And all of a sudden, he's gone. And now he's in an aquarium with a kid with braces. This is not good. And Anyway, you watch these movies, and you watch something that's dramatic, and your heart is on edge. Is this going to be solved? And the emotions of parents and loved ones and kids and tragedies, and you watch with such emotion. And then it comes to the end, and the hero rises, and it gets solved, and your stress lowers, and you think the good guys win, and the day is saved. You ever go back and watch a movie that you found traumatic the first time? It's not so traumatic the second time. Why? Because you know that his father fights through the sewer and gets the fish out of the tank. You know that the turtle, dude, it was just awesome, helped them find Wallaby Way. You know that there's a, there's a solution. So when you watch it from the beginning the second time, you're like, I'm not stressed that he's going out to touch that boat. I'm not worried about the sharks. I'm not worried about the waves. I'm not worried about the aquarium. Cute the braces. Invisalign is not my problem today. I know how this ends. Because why? Because it's different when you read it backwards. Think about these wise men. Think about this. These wise men were reading stars. If you know anything about stars, it's the light they saw in the sky had already left their source, in some cases, hundreds of years earlier. What they were reading was things backwards. It already had happened. It already had started. It already left its source. And here's hundreds of years later, they're reading it, knowing it had already happened, and they're reading it backwards. These men made their living out of reading things backwards. How long does it take starlight to reach Earth? I'm glad you asked. I Googled this because I'm not smart enough to know this on my own. But the nearest star in our system, Alpha Centauri, um, takes four years. From the second that it produces light to reach our eyes is four years. Sirius, the brightest star in our sky, which I thought was just satellite radio, but apparently it's a star as well. The Holly Channel, can't recommend it enough. But the Sirius star takes nine years to get to us. Orion Nebula takes 1,500 years to get to us. See, they knew the brightness that they were reading today had a starting point long ago far away. Are you seeing this today? They were seeing the ending as proof of a beginning. And the wise men walked in on a child and his parents, and they read it backwards. And they understood, we're coming in on the source, but we know how this story ends because they were told, they read from heaven that he will save the people from their sins. He will save the world. And because they were used to reading it backwards, they knew how it ended. They read the star and the end point. They saw the declamation. They saw the power and they saw the promise. And they had no problem going back to its source. Why? Because they knew how this thing ends. All that we'd have wise eyes today to see that if God is for us, who can be against us? They knew they were seeing the king of the Jews who would establish his kingdom. They knew they were seeing the one who would save the world. They knew they were seeing the one who would rescue mankind. And it didn't matter where it started. They knew how it ended. There was no disappointment because their expectations were built on what they got from heaven, not what they saw in a crib. We get so caught up in what we see in the moment. They don't follow up. 
They haven't reached out. This moment is disappointing. We get so caught up in the moment. I get caught up in the moment. If only we'd have wise eyes to be able to read it backwards and go, no, no. God has promised a legacy for those who are faithful. If we don't lose heart in due season, we will reap. And if I read it backwards, there's a harvest coming, a harvest of legacy, a harvest of spirituality, a harvest of health, a harvest of family. I know it's coming. I can read it backwards. I can get through this crib moment knowing there's a cross coming. Wise eyes read it backwards. This vision changed their behaviors, and they were committed to the promise, not the present. They were committed to the promise from heaven, not the present situation they saw themselves in. Think about this. In this moment of disappointment, they could have said, you know what? We've misjudged this. What we're seeing right now is not what we expected. We're taking our gifts, we're taking uh, uh, our treasure, we're taking our time, our talent, and our influence, and we're going home. But what changed was they were committed to the promise, not the present situation. I know I'm talking to somebody in this room today. You're in a present situation that is overwhelming. You're in a present situation that is disappointing. If you can get it, we can get our eyes back on the promise, not the present, it'll change the way we act. Their commitment was based on the promise, not the present. What would have happened if these wise men had not given their gifts to Jesus? What would have happened if they held back on their commitment based on what they saw in the present and not given it to Jesus? Joseph, Mary, and the toddler Jesus, we know this in the very next verse, of verse 13, it says that Herod uh, was going to kill all the boys under the age of two. So in a dream, Joseph heard, take, take Mary, take Joseph, and flee. Become refugees and leave and go to a new country, go to Egypt. We know that happened. And because of that, Jesus' life was spared, only to come back a few years later, grow up, and we know the rest of the story. What would have happened if these wise men had not uh, kept their promise and had based on their present? What if their commitment had dropped what we need to know is that cash, these gifts, actually funded their exile. Historians say being a poor family, they would not have had the money to get across the border to live in another country. Uh, Joseph, being a carpenter, would have had to try to find work with new connections and new people. It would have been very rough that these gifts that these wise men brought actually funded their exile until Jesus was old enough to come back. Think about that. So I googled how much was this stuff worth today equivalent in cash, if you, if you took all this stuff and put it to cash value, it was worth, some say, around $4 million. I don't know about you, but that's a significant amount of money. That's today's value. They gave three things, didn't they? The first thing they gave was gold. Gold was simply cash. Gold coins, cash. That, there was no debit. There was no PayPal. Thank you, Elon. There was no Bitcoin. There was cash. It was gold. And that gold in cash would help them get across borders, get groceries. It would help them pay for rent, pay for a property, pay for, pay for health care, pay for whatever they needed to be immigrants into a new country. Some of you know how expensive it is moving to a new country. You think about these gifts from these wise men, this gold, frankincense. What is frankincense? Well, it's an oil, and I, as I researched this, it said it kills some type of bacteria sometimes, but it's most commonly used as a fragrance in soaps, lotions, and perfumes. They say it's, it's, it's one of richness that influences. Back then, because of lack of plumbing and lack of um, ability to get clean and all those things and laundry, that perfume was worth so much because it covered the smell that so easily comes with dirt. That you knew you were rich, not because you could bathe more, because you could cover it, you could mask it 
with great perfumes. By giving this perfume, what they're saying is, hey, we're going to give you entrance in the places that maybe you wouldn't belong. If people smelt the dirt on your life, we're going to give you more influence and more access. You can sell it, but you can use it. And now not only do they have money to pay for their trip, they actually have a chance to go into places of influence and education and work. The last thing they gave them was myrrh. And it's, it's twofold, and one is symbolic and one is practical. And it's used in the Old Testament in the ancient temples as an ingredient in the anointing oil for consecrating priests, which is symbolic that Jesus would be our high priest, that you anointed a priest with myrrh in the oil, and it made him set apart to be a priest, and Jesus would become our high priest. That's why you don't need a pastor or a priest to confess your sins or talk to Jesus. We help direct you and we teach you, but you can go to Jesus on your own. You don't need to wait till Sunday. You don't need to wait till online church to talk to Jesus. Why? Because he is your high priest. But it also has a second practical use, myrrh does, is that it can reduce the chemicals that cause inflammation in the body. It's actually an old uh, remedy and treatment for infl- uh, uh, inflammation in the body like arthritis. And you think about the traveling and the journey and the, and the moving and how valuable it would be to have medicine. Think about this. They were given resources, they were given influence, and they were given stuff to heal themselves. What a gift from these wise men. And what would have happened if they held back those gifts based on disappointment? Their commitment to the promise, not the present, set Jesus up for the influence to be the resource and to heal us all. Thank God they had wise eyes to read backwards. You know, it's interesting, they're not called wise, they're, not, they're, they're, they're called wise men. I thought about this, they're not called wealthy men. I never thought about that before. I thought, you know, they're not called, hey, all these really wealthy leaders came from another country. All these wealthy um, business people came. It says wise men. Isn't it interesting? They're not called by their wealth. They're called by their wisdom. We want to limit people based on what the car they drive, the house they live in, the neighborhood they're, they're from, how much money they give, the clothes they dress. We, we put people in the categories. You ever fill those surveys out online? Which category do you fit in in? Do you make this much money or this much money? It's interesting. They weren't labeled by their wealth. They were labeled by their wisdom. With all that wealth, they were still labeled by their vision, not their wealth. All to be said of us. Think about the stories that Mary would have told of these foreign leaders to Jesus as he grew. In Egypt, Jesus is talking and walking and telling the story about the shepherds in the field, talking about how your father and me both heard from heaven. We had dreams and angels showed up. And then there's these these kings, these leaders, these, these wise people showed up in the middle of our poverty and they blessed us with all this. How can we afford this school, mom? Let me tell you the story. Listen, the neighbor's kids, they, they, can't, they don't smell like us. How come we have this and dad doesn't work a lot and he's not feeling the best and thank God that he has that medicine to help his arthritis, but how did we get all, let me tell you about these men that showed up. Jesus would have heard these stories his whole life. I can't help but think, if you look, know that and go back through the New Testament and read how much Jesus loved Gentiles and non-Jewish people, maybe it was influenced by his mother. It says that she kept these things in her heart. And I'm sure at bedtime and over meals, it would come out. Remember when? Remember when? Remember when we're here today because of? And Jesus would have grown up with a love for people from far off places. And what did he spend his life doing? Reaching those on the outskirts? Reaching those on the outside? 
He loved the Jewish people, but he said, listen, we have to reach beyond our borders. Why? Because somewhere he knew, because someone crossed a border to help him, he would spend his life crossing borders of countries and of sin to reach us. We are here because Jesus loved more than his own nation. But what would happen if they had been more committed to the present and not the promise? I'm talking about legacy offering, and I'm not talking about legacy offering. I'm talking about your faithfulness in prayer, and I'm not talking about your faithfulness in prayer. I'm talking about your marriages, and I'm not talking about your marriages. I'm talking about your children, and I'm not talking about your children. I do know this, that if we have wise eyes, we see things as they are based on the promises of God. As we close this year and start a new one, oh, that we would be known for our wisdom in hearing from heaven, not in our buildings, not in our bank accounts, not in our worship, not in our preaching, not in our style, and not in our size of our church, but in the wisdom that we hear from heaven. In every home, in every heart, we hear from heaven, and it directs us. That we would know that open heavens were once messy mangers. You got some mess in your life, you're a candidate for God to use. I don't have time today to unpack the mess over the years in my life. Thought, who, where, where could this kid with a speech impediment, could he do this? Pastor Nancy growing up in poverty and, and, and growing up in turmoil in relationships in her, in her home, could, could she become this? Go back to your story where you were when he found you, where you started to this point. If only we would understand that sometimes God changes the world through messy mangers. As we end this year and launch into a new one, we understand that great legacies start with small beginnings. You feel small today? You feel like things are just barely off the ground? God's got a plan. That apology, small, small apology, can lead to the restoration in a marriage. That the legacy of marriage decades down the road might start with a small apology today. Don't despise manger beginnings. That invitation could lead a family to salvation and faith. It's just Christmas Eve Eve. It's just an Eventbrite link. It's just a, a service. It's just Christmas. But one small manger moment could lead to a kingdom difference. That one offering could build the building. That we be committed to the promise, not the present. 2022 does not define the call of God in your life. The year you had does not define the call of God in your life. And don't let your commitment to God be swayed by where you find yourself right now. Mangers turn into kingdoms. Choices turn into legacies if we see it through wise eyes. Church, I want to pray for you today as we close out this last Sunday of the year. That you would see your life and see those around you through kingdom eyes, through wise eyes. Read it backwards today. God says we win. He says he has a promise. He says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That if God says he is with us, then who can be against us? You might feel like you're in a manger right now. You might feel like there's an attack on your life. You might feel underwhelmed and, and, and under-resourced and overwhelmed. You might feel like you're in the middle of pain and problems. I want to encourage you today, wise eyes. God has a plan for your life. God has kingdom authority and kingdom influence and kingdom change coming. If we would just hang on and our commitment is based on the promise, not the present. If we understand that legacy starts with major moments, amen? Can you stand to your feet today? I want to pray for you. Pastor Matt, you're going to lead us in this song. 
These next five minutes before we dismiss, I want to encourage you to worship. You're new to church going, what do you mean worship? That's a church word. All it means is it's not based on where you're at, it's who you're with. There's a God in this room right now. The Bible says that two or more are gathered together, he is there, which means there's another level of faith in the room. Dream team, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you, guest. I'm talking to you, church member. In these next few minutes, would you worship and let the God that made you and loves you and has planned your life open your eyes to be wise eyes, not discouraged, not disappointed, not small-minded, not small vision, but to see your life as we launch into a new year through his eyes, to see the person next to you through wise eyes, to see our church through wise eyes, to see your calling, your influence, your workplace through wise eyes. It's not an accident that you moved here. It's not an accident that you showed up to this church. God has a plan for your life. Come on, Pastor Matt, lead us in worship as I pray. God, I thank you for this moment. We worship you. The God of the kingdom is the God of the manger. God, it's not where we're at, it's who we're with. And we're thankful, Holy Spirit, that you are here right now. Would you fill this room? As we lift our hearts, as we focus on you, would you give us wise eyes? In Jesus' name. still in your presence all the noise dies down Lord speak to me now you have all my attention I will linger and listen can't miss a thing oh I know my heart wants more my heart wants something desire is to know you deep. Lord, I will open up again. Throw my fears into the wind. I am desperate for a touch of
Friday night and online only next Sunday morning. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Ready, man? Okay. Yeah, looking out my window, feeling the crescendo, sunset on a quiet sea. Sitting with the wind.